Hey Matt, how's it going? Jonathan, I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Um, it's Wednesday, November 29th, and this is the Agony of Defeat podcast. I'm Jonathan Weiler. I'm a professor of global studies at UNC Chapel Hill. And I'm Matthew Andrews. Although, you know, I was just thinking about this. Follow my, my lead on this one. All right. I'm Matthew Kelsey. I'm one of the Kelsey brothers. Um, so that makes you Jonathan Kelsey. I just heard that yeah. those guys have the number one sport podcast, the Kelsey right? brothers. So we should change our last name to Kelsey. So we're number two. I'm we're number two, we're probably. Right. That's the number to say that, all right, I'm not Matthew Kelsey. I'm Matthew Andrews. I'm a professor here in the Department of History at UNC Chapel Hill. All right, so we are, we're happily partnered. And I say this because... You mean with each other? or Well, with each other and with actual partners. Oh, okay. I say that because unless one of us starts dating Taylor Swift, we are unlikely to overtake the Kelsey brothers as the number one. I think it's much more likely that you would date Taylor Swift than just knowing what I know about you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's here's what we're going to do today, Jonathan. Um, Last time we talked about the two Bills. We talked about Bill Walton and Bill Russell. And we had so much fun talking about that. Well, I guess they're both Boston basketball players. Did we talk about Walton as a Celtic? We did. We did a little bit? Okay. Russell, obviously, as a Celtic. We had so much fun talking about Celtic basketball players. I suggested to Jonathan that we continue our conversation and talk about, boy, the Celtic that I grew up watching, Larry Bird. You want to talk about Larry Bird? Absolutely, yes. All right, so here's how this is going to go go down. So, as you know, I teach a course here at UNC called Race, Basketball, and the American Dream. And uh, I give a bunch of lectures and talk about how we can use basketball to explore race relations and ideas about blackness and white whiteness uh, throughout American history, or at least 1891 to the, to the present, when basketball has been around. And one of the lectures that I give is on Larry Bird and Boston and the city of Boston and the racial climate in Boston in the 1980s. And well, as we're going to talk about, I, I kind of pick on Boston a little bit. I, I, I use Boston as an example of a, of a non-southern city, a, of, a, of a northern city that had race problems and kind of used it to talk about white backlash in the 1970s and the 1980s. And I use this player, Larry Bird, to, to do Just to interject very yeah, quickly, Matt, we talked last week in this regard because we were talking about Bill Russell, Boston in the 1960s in this context. And I think we're gonna talk about that a little bit today as, yes. as well. Yes. All right, so make a long story short, um, I do this class. Uh, a few months later, I get this really big, thick, uh, envelope in my mailbox, and I say, oh, this is great. It's, I've got it right here, the, the envelope, Professor Matthew Andrews, UNC History Department. He addresses it to Polly Murray Hall, which is the, the, the name of racial justice that we have given this, th- this building. There's no return address. In fact, the letter is unsigned, but where the return address should be, it says Course Critique History 585. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's, let's see what this is. Jonathan, I'm, I'm going to show you the, the envelope. I should have noticed, what's the postmark? Where is it from? It's from Boston, it's Massachusetts. It's from Boston. And you see the stamps? The st- two Nancy Reagan stamps. Two Nancy Reagan stamps. So I, wait, wait, notable, by the way, the letter is so thick that the sender felt he needed two stamps. Two, two Nancy to Reagan stamps, To make sure it, yeah. it got to its destination. And yes. in this lecture, I suppose I pick on Ronald Reagan a little bit also, and I talk about Ronald Reagan and his ideas about race. So I should have known something interesting was coming when there were the two Nancy Reagan stamps, but I did not. I opened the letter going, this is going to be great. 
So you have the actual letter in your hand. I, so I thought we could talk a little bit about the letter as a way of talking about Larry Bird and, and Boston and race and sports. Okay, so I'm going to read the first two paragraphs. Great. And then we'll, we'll take it from we'll there. We'll take it from there, all right. Course Critique, it's, it's titled in the letter itself, Course Critique of History 585. Okay. And it says, Dear Professor... And, and I'm fine. I, I, I'm all for this. I want feedback, right? So, yeah. And, and, any good teacher. <laughs> That's right. Dear Professor Andrews, I had an opportunity to listen to segments of two classes that you taught, baseball and basketball. Matt teaches, of course, also a course on the history of baseball. Right. And this was during COVID, we yes. assume. Yes, so the only way he could have been able to, to have seen these videos is to have known someone who was in the class. As we can talk about, I'm pretty sure this person is older than me because they, they talk about being around yes. In, yes. In, in Boston in these yes. times. So I suspect that this is the grandfather of someone who was in my race and basketball class okay. and had access to the lectures. Okay, so I had an opportunity to listen to segments of two classes that you taught, baseball and basketball. Both classes were interesting and informative. I found you to be a brilliant educator and wish my college history professors had half the talents that you possess. Having played varsity baseball in college and beyond, your course on baseball was of great interest to me. My exposure to your basketball class was limited and focused on your discussion of the Boston Celtics. Why don't we just stop right there with the part about how, how, how talented he finds me to be, how he just wishes he had had a professor with half as much charisma The truth as I is, possess. the only purpose of this podcast was to laud Matt's incredible teaching talents. So we'll just stop it right so there. Good night. Everybody, thank you for listening. <laughs> yes, that's okay. right. <laughs> All right. Let us continue. All right. Paragraph two. I'd like to share with you some feedback relative to your basketball class, and I hope you receive such in good stead, as I mean no disrespect. And I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> laughing at the no disrespect because I've read the rest of the letter, and I'm not sure that's how it goes. But okay, with regard to basketball in Boston, I felt your presentation duped your students with slanted facts, cherry-picked videos, and woke distortions of history to fit your narrative on race and basketball. Matt, would you like to respond? Ouch. <laughs> um, and, and I'm sorry, let me say. I do want to respond. Yeah, let me say, before you respond, ways, just, yeah. just very quickly, this goes on for. Yeah, explain the letter. Yeah, yeah, okay. So this goes on for five full pages. Typed, right? single spaced. Single spaced with various shifting of fonts, <laughs> italics some bolding, different colored fonts. I mean, it's kind of an artistic achievement, <laughs> among other things, and it does go on for five full pages. It's kind of a semi-crazy legal document. It is a semi... The, the author clearly did some research. I clearly struck a chord. You struck a chord, for yeah, sure. Yeah. And he did some research, and he had a lot to say. And you so. know what? I don't necessarily disagree with everything that he says. Um, okay. Do, do you want to start there? Do you want to say a little bit about what what about this did you think was well worth taking a second look at? Or it, so when I first read the letter, I, I was kind of laughing the whole time because I thought, and I'll tell you later how I how I knew exactly he was going to end this letter. But 
you know, when we teach, we do present just certain facts. We don't tell every fact we we know. And it, it made me think, do I cherry pick facts? Mm-hmm. And do I have a, I mean, I have a, I have a take on Boston in the 70s and 80s. And I wasn't, as he told me over and old, over and over, I'm not from Boston. I didn't live in Boston in the 70s and 80s. And you know, he says, when you were from Oakland, I guess he, I must have said that in one of my, my, my other lectures. And like, you were wearing diapers in Oakland in the 3,000 miles 3, away. 3,000 miles away. It's not my fault I was wearing diapers in 1969. <laughs> my mom dressed me like that. So I, I kind of object to that. Um, but no, I, 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 um, I tried to slow down and read it carefully and think, what does he say that's of use? And what does he say that perhaps is not of use? And here's another thing that I do. Look, I have learned over the years that people in Boston can be pretty touchy uh, about their sports teams. Mm -hmm. They can be pretty touchy when you talk about racism in Boston. I've been to Boston and I've talked to people who tell me how much racism there is in the state of North Carolina in the South and don't acknowledge the racial past in, in Boston. So I actually excerpt from this letter in my lecture now oh, about race in Boston to give students a sense of the defensiveness uh-huh. that exists in Boston when you're talking about these uh-huh. issues. Uh-huh. So I've turned it into a teaching moment. Excellent. Is what I'm saying. As any good teacher would. As any good teacher would. Okay, so do you want to say a little bit more about just the, the sort of opening salvo? In the, in the letter. Well, I think I want to say he clearly doesn't think that I'm giving Larry Bird enough free respect. Um, and I guess he quotes me as saying, don't get me wrong, Larry Bird is very good. Yes. I may have said that. I actually haven't gone back and listened to the lecture. I think Larry Bird was more than very good, to be clear. Um, what don't, how about if we start talking about our thoughts about Larry Bird? Um, because I was the way I sort of set it up is to suggest that the Boston Celtics... There are a lot of people out there who think it's no coincidence that the Boston Celtics drafted this white player, drafted him one year early, right? Drafted him in 1978, waited a whole year for Larry Bird to finish college, and then so he would come to the Boston Celtics. And I say it just seems to fit the racial outlook of the city at the time. So I think he thought I was saying the only reason why Larry Bird was drafted is because he's white. There are other reasons than that, obviously. Yeah, and, and the letter itself details Larry Bird's many accomplishments yeah, yeah. on the courts, his MVPs, all-star appearances, yeah. etc. So before we get to Larry Bird, it is worth mentioning the person who did the drafting was Red Auerbach. Right. Who we spoke about in the last episode. That's right. And a lot of people have said, I, I didn't know that, that, that Karen Auerbach was a Red Auerbach's yes. and, and Red Auerbach, who we discussed last time, was an indisputable racial pioneer yeah. in basketball. He drafted Bill Russell yeah. in the 1950s. Right. He put on the floor the first all-black starting five in yes. the history of the NBA. Yeah. So Bill Russell... Uh, he named Bill Russell as the first black as the coach. So Red Auerbach, this person who then later drafted Larry Bird, right. has an exceptional record right. when it comes to race and basketball. Well, so so, I so, don't... so it's worth noting. That. Yeah, no, it's worth noting that. I mean, I guess as we're talking about this, it makes me think about semantics and how I phrase things. I, I didn't say uh, Boston drafted Larry Bird because he was white. I said there were a lot of people out there who thought it was no coincidence that Boston, because it just seemed to fit the racial outlook of the city. Maybe that's not yeah. a fair way of saying it then. Maybe actually. it's not. Maybe yeah. it's not. Maybe, but so I think the, so let's talk about Larry Bird in the 1980s. Yes. And, and let's talk about it in the context of race because, so I'm a Knicks fan. Okay. And if you were not a Lakers fan, 
or a Celtics fan, or maybe a 76ers fan in the 1980s, you had to pick a second team. Because right. that second team was the team, when your team got eliminated, yeah. you were going to reform the NBA Finals. Didn't everyone take a side in the Lakers versus Celtics it, it, exactly. thing in the and, 80s? I did. And the way that people took sides, I think, was to some degree based on race. That the Los Angeles Lakers, led by the incredible Magic Johnson, I think were perceived by many as the black team. Yeah. And the Boston Celtics, led by Larry Bird and also Kevin McHale, yeah. another great white player on the team, were seen as the white team. And, and I'll say this, so Matt, speaking for myself, yeah. I was a Lakers fan in the 1980s. Okay. A secondary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never yeah, claimed yeah. those titles as my own. Right. <laughs> I was a Lakers fan in the 1980s. I loved Magic Johnson, and I absolutely picked them in part. I'm a New York fan. I'm not going to root for Boston teams. That's right. one reason. Okay. But another reason was certainly the fact that the Lakers were the quote-unquote black team, and yeah. I was just drawn to that. So yeah. so there was a picking of sides. Yeah, can I tell you what, what, what my yes. reading? Yes. So for, the Lakers were the black team only because Boston was the white team, right? I mean, when, when it was Lakers against Sixers. No, that's it, correct. So, so that's the, correct. the Lakers black, and people go, how are they the black team? Like, they weren't yeah. the black team like the... Like like the Sixers were in the seventies. It was just I'm, and and Matt, just to let me clarify, I'm misstating because you're right. They really weren't the black team. It's that Boston was. The yeah, white the, the Boston team. was the white. So yes, they yes. became the de facto black. Correct. Yeah, I'm. Um, I don't like looking back at myself in the 1980s all the time, <laughs> and so I'm going to be honest. In the Lakers versus Celtics matchups, I actually rooted for the Celtics. You did, but you know why I think I rooted for them? This really is my answer. Yeah. Because I was a Golden State Warriors fan. Okay. And the Lakers just whooped all over the Warriors, and the arrogance of the Lakers. As the Celtics whooped all over the Knicks. They just right? they just yeah, destroyed yeah, yeah. my team. And every once in a while, we'd be good. We had Sleepy Floyd one year in Christmas, and then the Lakers would just restore sanity and just you know just yeah. whoop all of. But you know what I think about Magic Johnson. You and I've talked about this. Yes. I think Magic Johnson might be the greatest basketball player I, of I, all I, time. I, I, I might agree with you. I, yes. I I know that. You can make a compelling case LeBron, for, for the Michael, Jordan game, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there was something about Magic that I just found him mesmerizing on and off the court. So I, though I found myself kind of rooting for Boston because the Lakers, or the the Lakers made me so mad. I mean, I I, I identified with Magic much more than yeah. than than Bird really. Yeah. So I guess so that is in part to say, the Lakers Celtics rivalry in the nineteen eighties. Between them, they won eight NBA titles in that decade. Yeah, five for the Lakers, three, three for, for the, the Celtics. Celtics. They were the dominant rivalry of the decade. Yeah. Was there, there is a racial story in that rivalry that everybody saw and understood. It was obvious. At the time. Yeah, I, I am told that when the Lakers would come into Boston, that black people in Boston would go to the Lakers and say, kick their ass. Yeah. Kick the Celtics yeah. butt. You know, we are rooting for you guys. The the HBO series Winning Time yeah. about the nineteen eighties Lakers, which lasted two seasons and was an up and down show in some ways, it does very much highlight this aspect. Yeah. Both of the Bird Magic rivalry specifically and the Boston Los Angeles rivalry in general. Well look and, and Larry Bird becomes the figure here's what's so interesting about Larry Bird. 
you know, throughout American sport history, when people talked about race in sports, they talked about black athletes, right? They talked about Jack Johnson and Joe Lewis and Muhammad Ali and Jackie Robinson. That's the burden of being a black athlete in the white sports world. But when we talked about race in sports in the 1980s, we talked about Larry Bird. We talked about this white athlete who was in this suddenly overwhelmingly black right. sport. He was the racial outlier, and he was the one suddenly around which all of these conversations have. It's kind of, it's a remarkable that's switch. A, that's a really interesting point, Matt Wright. So he enters the league in 1980. Right. At the point at which the league has, as we've talked about previously, become 75% African-American. Yep. It's losing popularity. Yeah. In part, in part because of that. Because of that, the um, perception that the league is too black. But also in part because there was, I think, a lack of star power in the 1970s. Sure. In some ways, that bird and magic, yeah. plus Michael Jordan, yeah. completely turned around in the 1980s. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's an irony there, right? I mean, a, a league that is thought of as being too black, as the, the NBA was. It was, you know, it was not in the, in, in the, in the echelon. Um, that's a problem, but a league that can be fueled by black versus white competition, well, that yeah, now you got something that has a lot of juice. It's got a lot of juice. Yeah, and we talked about the fact when we talked about Bill Walton, that NBA Finals, yeah, exactly. the one NBA Finals, that there was good viewership in the nineteen seventies, right. exactly, because there was a great in part because there was a great white player. But now you got these two, Bird and Johnson, who are transcendent players in my race and basketball class. I describe them as basketball geniuses. I mean, both of them, you know, they were constantly described as being different, but their similarities are pretty remarkable. They're, yes. They're the same size. Yes. You know, Magic was a point guard at 6'9", which yeah. is absolutely nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Still is. Still unprecedented. It, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But neither of them were especially athletic. Neither of them were especially quick or had incredible leaping ability. Right. Not like Jordan, who's right. going to come along. Right. But they were so competitive. They were so smart. They had an ability to know what was going to happen on the court before anyone else did. They're the same guy, yeah. but they were... They, they were, both also had insane hand-eye coordination. Right, right. So that, that's a different form of ath yes, athleticism, yes, yes, right? Yes. And, but they were constantly described as being opposites because one was black and one was, and white. was white. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So to say a little bit more about Bird, I hated Bird because he was a Celtic and I was a Nick fan. Okay. Um, but he's one of those players who, over time, I grudgingly came to admire. Oh, you had to be, Because his skills were so astonishing. Yeah. He's known legendarily as the, perhaps, except maybe for Michael Jordan, the greatest trash talker right. in league history. Right. He would famously tell an opposing player, I'm going to dribble left, I'm going to dribble right, right, then I'm going to stick a 20-foot jumper in your face as he was doing it. And there was nothing anyone could do to stop. One of my favorite Larry Bird stories is at the end. Of, I guess sometime in the in in the mid '80s, they were on the end of a long Western uh, road trip, and you know you're getting tired. You're playing Seattle and Portland and Golden State and the Clippers. They're in Portland, and he's so bored. He tells the press, "I'm going to play this game left-handed. I'm going to do everything <laughs> left-handed." And he goes for like 24 points left-handed. You know, he's, he's Larry Bird is right-handed. Um, that's how remarkable of a player Larry Bird was. I broke my thumb when I was in ninth grade. This is a true story. I okay. broke my right thumb. Matt's like, why are you telling this? No, story? no, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm I broke my good. right thumb in ninth grade. And the next morning I had to take a French test. Uh -huh. And I had to take it left-handed. 
<laughs> and I did quite well. So I feel like that's the equivalent. That's the of Bird equivalent. I take it back. It's not as impressive as I thought because you did exactly the same thing. Exactly. Taking a French but, test. Like right. So yeah. Matt. So one issue that comes up in the letter that I'm just interested to talk about a little bit is it. You make the point in the lecture that the Celtics, in spite of their all-time dynastic run yeah. in the 1960s, were not a particularly popular team in Boston. Right. In fact, they were much less popular than the team that shared the building with them, the Boston Bruins, right. the National Hockey League franchise. Yes. And the letter writer, among other things, takes great umbrage at this particular point of yours. Okay. And says it's unfair to ascribe this to race. Okay. And this is part of what I want to talk about because the letter writer accuses everybody of making everything about race. Right. And why does everything have to be about race? And, and I'm fine hearing that, uh, having a conversation yeah. uh, about that. Yeah. Okay, but I do want to... <laughs> but, I, yeah. But, um, our crack research team, uh-huh. meaning the 20 minutes I spent on the internet today, <laughs> I looked up some data. Can't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> what, what did you find out? Okay. This is about the Celtics vis-a-vis the Bruins? This is about the Celtics and the Bruins. And can we say one thing about the Boston yes, Bruins? Yes, First team to have a black player. The Boston Bruins in the NHL. Willie O'Ree. As the letter writer pointed oh, out. Oh, of course he did. By yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As um, he should. As he should, yeah. sure. Um, now the Boston Red Sox, correct me if I'm wrong, the last Major League Baseball team to have a black player. 1959. Pumpsy Green. Pumpsy Green. Elijah Pumpsy Green. So, and they're... And they're at a time when the Red Sox couldn't win, and, and, yeah. they, and they didn't, yeah. you know. Yeah. You so know the story, right? They, they could have had Jackie Robinson and Willie Mays, right. but they passed them both. But they passed them both, right. Now look, I'm a Yankee fan. The Yankees were not much better. They they signed their first black player in 1955. But at least they were winning. They were winning. And so All the time back why, then. Why, why, why mess with the right. system? I'm not saying they shouldn't have yeah. signed one, but yeah. the, the, the Red Sox didn't have any excuse. All right, so I looked up, because I have nothing better to do with my life. Okay. I looked up attendance figures for the Bruins and the Celtics in the 1960s playing in the same building. Okay, you can get this on the internet? You can get this on the internet. Awesome. Okay, all at, right. least, at least I'm claiming you can. Okay. Okay. So first of all, the Celtics, as we discussed last time, in the decade of the 1960s. Yeah. Matt, one thing I didn't have to do was look up how the Celtics did every year right. in the 1960s because every year except one... They won the NBA championship. In the 60s, right. Yeah, Every yeah, yeah. year except one. Except 67, if yeah. I remember? Yeah, right. That is nuts, Yeah, that is way. nuts. I know, okay. I know. Wow. The Bruins, by contrast, uh-huh. between 1960 and 1967, 60-61 season, and the 66-67 season, so seven seasons. Right. They finished last in six of those seasons, and in the seventh season, they finished one point out of last place. Okay. okay. This has nothing to do with anything, but did the NHL only have like eight teams? It had six teams, though. Six teams. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Holy smokes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were they were god awful. So did they come in last, or did they come in, you know, third? They came in sixth. They were six. Oh, it was it was ranked one through yeah, six. Yeah, it was just a one. It was a single yeah. division basically. So they came in. You would last. think as a sport historian, I would know that, but yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> they that. came in last every year except one, okay. and that seventh year they were horrible. But well, so then obviously they uh, the, the Celtics outdrew them. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> they're playing in the same building. Yeah. I think I mentioned that already. Right. The seating capacity, because the letter writer makes a point of this, and was the same for hockey and basketball during this time. Period. Okay, and in every year. The Bruins outdrew the Celtics 
by anywhere from two to four thousand fans a season per so, game per, per per season Oh, yeah, per, per game. Yes, per, per game. game. Yeah, per 4, game. Two more. to four thousand per game. Wow. Throughout that entire time. That's, That's a best, big, big difference. The best the Celtics ever did, interestingly enough, in the nineteen sixties. In nineteen sixty seven, the one year they didn't win, huh. and maybe Celtics fans found that more interesting. I don't know. I don't know. They drew ten thousand four hundred fans per game. That was worse than any season. The Bruins had attendance-wise wow. during that stretch of historic futility. Okay. Okay. So, so let me say this. Yeah. No, th- that, those are interesting numbers. All right. That doesn't prove anything. No, it doesn't prove what I right. It, it, it doesn't prove what I was suggesting. Right. It doesn't. It's about race. On the one hand. On right. the other hand, I think it's fair to say yeah. it's suggestive. Yeah. And worth pondering. Yeah. Why that happens. Yeah. Well, and I think it happened because Boston couldn't get behind this. Mostly black team, right. and it, Bill Russell wasn't the most, um, you know, uh, uh, welcoming player to the fans. He, like we talked about last night, he wasn't going around signing autographs and making it be known that he was there to, you know, make right. everyone sport going. He was just being an all-time great player, just being an all-time great player and winning <laughs> championships. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. So, but I doubt Bobby Orr or whoever the stars were were, 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 were doing those things yeah. then. Yeah. then yeah, so I say this tells us something about race. If I remember, the letter writer says, no, you missed the point. It just means that Boston is a hockey town. Right. Which, what does that mean? Yeah. Is, is, well, I, actually, I'm, I'm, I think I'm well, honestly asking. Is, well, I'll, I'll tell you one association I have. This is something a friend and I sort of talk about, joke about, is it's, it's been a trope in sports media coverage for many, many years. Yeah. That hockey players are quote they're just good guys. Good guys, yeah. And 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 why do I bring that up? Yeah. Because it is a fact that the sports journalistic cohort. Yeah. This is less true now. Yeah. But historically, has been overwhelmingly white. Oh yeah. As are hockey players, yeah. and I think there's a mutual relatability. Yeah. Between sports writers and. Hockey players, for example, yeah. that you were not likely to find among sports writers, especially back in this era, 60s, oh, 70s, and 80s. Especially a white sports writer in Boston and trying to relate to, to, Bill, to a black athlete. Bill Russell, yeah. And, so, and, I, and I think that's relevant because part of how we come to think about, about our sports, like everything else, is it's mediated right. through media and right. how that's presented to us and the quote unquote attitudes of players and what we think of them not only on the ice or on the court, yeah. but off the court. Right. And so I think all of that is relevant to perceptions that people have. Are players entitled? Are they spoiled? Yeah. Yeah. Are the you know, the the sort of the anti athlete tropes that we hear. Yeah. I think it is fair to say we just hear those more about black athletes yeah. than we do about white athletes. And and to you know, piggyback off that, Boston did become a basketball town at at some point, and it became a basketball town when Larry Bird shows. I we talked about this last time. Yes. Havlicek and Cowens were starting to change the conversation, yeah. but then here comes Bird, here comes McHale. They 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 get them at the same time, and by the mid '80s, it is remarkable. The Boston Celtics were two thirds white in yes. a league that was seventy five percent black. I think it's and extraordinarily fair. successful. That yes. that team yeah. in '86 that I'm referencing won the NBA title. It's one of the I think they were sixty seven uh, and fifteen. Okay, I guess yeah, I don't even have to come up. I was going to say, but there, uh, what? Uh, how many games do you play at, at at home? You play 
41. 41. They were 40 and 1 right. at, at, at right. home that year. Right. So right. I'm not saying, you know, Auerbach didn't have a vision for this team, but I think I'm going to phrase it the way I originally phrased it. I think it's fair to ask the question is there something going on with the construction of that team? Yeah, and, and just to finish the attendance piece of this, in the 1980s, there was no longer a disparity between attendance at Celtics games and, and attendance right, at Bruins games. Right, right, right. The Celtics are now selling out yeah. every game. So let's talk about Larry Bird. Yeah, yeah. Where is he in the Pantheon for for you? Uh, yeah, I don't... I, I was about to say, I think he's in the top ten, but I can't say that I can name nine others. Yeah, he, sure, he, he's, but... he's right around there, whether okay. he's in the top ten yeah. for me. Yeah. I mean, look, he, he was arguably... Okay, so he's he's a small forward. Yeah. And he played basketball at a time when there actually were positions, right? Yes, yeah. Now there aren't fit positions anymore. And right. Magic is the guy who kind of changed that in that yeah. in that 1980 final where he plays all five positions in game six and just has maybe yeah. the most remarkable game ever. Yes, yes. Um, and that includes Will Chamberlain, who scored 100 points. So yes. I mean, Magic's game six in 1980 is maybe more remarkable. Bird is probably, well, look, LeBron James has now passed him. So we don't even have to debate as, whether he's as the, the best, greatest small forward as the greatest small yeah. small forward yeah. of all time. Yeah. Who else would you have put in there before? Do like, you count Barkley in that position? Yeah, I suppose you do. But I mean, yeah, I wouldn't mind having Barkley on my team. I wouldn't mind having Barkley on my team either. Um, Jack McCallum, who writes the book about the Dream Team, yeah, a great book about the Dream Team, says that all the other Dream Team players. This is this unparalleled collection of NBA players. All the players thought Barkley's clearly the best athlete on the floor. Yeah, right. right better than Jordan. Better. Yeah. Than, Jordan was the alpha. He was the clear leader of the team. Yeah, he had a little to prove. Barkley had a little more to prove on right. in the. On the other hand, Barkley never won a championship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, so other names: Dr. J. Yeah. Dr. J is a small forward, and think about it. We never saw Dr. J for the first five years of his career. He was just this. Yes. This, this whisper, like there's yes. this guy yes. in the ABA. Yes. You've I got mentioned to see last him. time I followed, he was my first great love as a player. Yeah, right? yeah, and, and you probably never saw him play. Ba- barely. Barely, yes. but you yes. know, you, yeah. you saw the pictures, you saw the afro, you saw the massive hands. Yeah. He was remarkable. A guy that I wish I knew what his game was like is Elgin Baylor. Um, if I could go back in time, mm-hmm. I think there are two players I want to see. I want to see Elgin Baylor. And I want to see Connie Hawkins mm-hmm. because I don't quite understand what their games were, right. and I'd like to get a sense. And, and so Con- those guys are in the conversation. Yeah, Connie Hawkins is considered a pioneer, really even before Dr. J is just the first sign of kind of Skywalker, high flying. Yeah, idea. right, right. So I'd, I'd like to see yeah. what that what, what that, that meant. Yeah. But I can see why Bird is number one on a lot of people's list until LeBron comes along. Yeah. I think there's a way in which Larry Bird is probably overrated and underrated all at the same time. Yeah, how do you, how do you think he's overrated? Well, look, part of the narrative of Larry Bird in the 1980s, what, I, it, a lot of it had to do with the color of your skin, as you were thinking about Larry Bird. Without a doubt, yeah. there were a lot of um, sport, black sports writers and... Um, just people who, who, basketball insiders, who were getting tired of the way that the white press was constantly anointing Larry Bird as the best player in, in basketball. Um, you know, he was constantly on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and people always said he is the best all-around player in basketball. I don't think that's true when Magic Johnson was in the league. No, no. Magic Johnson was the best player in basketball in the 1980s. It wasn't Larry Bird. So I think 
that existed. Mm -hmm. As you know, what was it, 1987, when uh, the, the Celtics knock off the Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals, Bird has that, the Bird steal. The steal of Isaiah Thomas. Right? Game 5, Isaiah yep. just throws the, the worst pass the worst ever. I, I watched that game in agony, by the way, because I was really rooting for the Pistons. Sure, sure. Oh, I was too. I loved yeah. this, this, this rookie named Dennis Rodman on that yeah, team. Yeah. You know, I was like, look at this guy. Uh, and, you know, uh, Rodman said that Larry Bird is overrated. People just... Um, Lost their minds. Yeah, yeah celebrate him because of the color of his skin. And then yeah. uh, Isaiah Thomas backed it up and said the, said the same thing. So I don't think that's true. I don't think that's fair, um, you know. But I also don't think that Larry Bird was the best player in basketball in the 1980s. Yeah, so I think that he was, for the first, I don't know, the first seven years of his career... He was transcendently great, probably an, a, a notch below magic. And then the last five years, his back was bad, and he was still good, but not the same player. Oh, it wasn't even close to the same yeah. player. And, and that's tough. What do yeah. you do with an athlete who gets gets hurt? Right. I mean, I don't know. A guy like Mickey Mantle kept on going. Yeah. Had a, had a yeah. pretty remarkable yeah. clip. Yeah. But Larry Bird just became a shell of himself. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. so hard to watch. He wouldn't even sit on the bench. He'd lay on his stomach on the sideline because his... I, I get back spasms now. I can't even imagine playing basketball yeah. with a with a back spasm. And I think he I, he might I can't remember he might have been thirty five when he retired, but he might not even have been thirty five. Yeah, I was looking so. up his, his his scoring average. You know, there are guys like um, uh, Donovan Mitchell who has a higher scoring average than 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 Larry Bird, Kawhi Leonard, who was another good small. Kawhi Leonard's a great player who, who yeah. injuries have made him probably less sort of less a part of the conversation than yeah otherwise but, would be but the yeah. only you know what if you want to watch great basketball highlights you know you can google jordan highlights and lebron highlights Bird's highlights might be the best they are great they're they're they great. they're so interesting they're they're so inventive i, I wish we had more pete maravich highlights yeah. it isn't interesting i picked two white players here to <laughs> to say their highlight i've got this theory about maravich can i lay this on you yeah, this please. this well, and then maybe we should get to the end of the letter, which I do want to address. Okay. Um, my theory about Maravich, and for those of you who don't know, is a um, very flashy, fantastic white player um, who actually ended his career with the Celtics. That's he, right. right. He, he was kind of winding down. I thought it was a nice symmetry in some ways yeah. that he was on the Celtics with, with, with Larry Bird. I often wonder... By far, by the way, the all-time leading scorer in college basketball history. Yes. In terms of being, it's, no one's even close. 44 a game. Yeah, yeah. Three years at, of... At LSU. Three yeah. years of varsity ball, no three-point shot, and he was an outside shooter. He's still the all-time yeah. leading scorer yeah. in the NCAA. By far. <laughs> yeah, and he was a, 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 an amazing passer, um, and he played with a flair that really no one else did. You used a good word about Bird. It applies to Maravich, inventive. Inventive, yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you think there's a racial reason behind Okay, so, so Maravich grows up with his father being his coach. Yes. His father basically says, I'm going to uh, create the world's greatest basketball player. He comes pretty close. A long-time coach at NC State. NC State and Clemson. Down, and down, down the road from where we are Absolutely. recording this podcast. Yes. So I'm wondering if Maravich's whiteness somehow, maybe I'm overthinking this. Tell me if I'm overthinking it. Because I know exactly what letter writer guy would, <laughs> would, would tell me. But is there something about Maravich's whiteness and then Bird's whiteness that gives them the confidence with which to be the most inventive and creative players out there? And I'm thinking about if you're a black player who says, 
I'm going to play the game left-handed. I think your coach shuts you down and mm. says, no, you're not doing that. And if you're, if you're Pete Maravich, who says, I would rather do a behind-the-back pass than just an ordinary pass uh -huh. because that gets the crowd excited, don't you think your white coach somewhere along the way is going to say, that's not how the game is played, son. You need uh -huh. to rein it in. Uh -huh. So I'm wondering if their whiteness allows them to be, and I'm going to racialize the way they play basketball. Maravich played basketball in a black way, in a black mm -hmm. Style. Well, that was his reputation. Yeah, like he's the, he's the blackest white guy out there. Yes. I'm wondering if that way of playing is one of the, and again, letter writer's not going to like this phrase, but one of the privileges of whiteness. Perhaps. I was wondering, and again, I'm, I also feel like I'm getting into, I don't know, problematic racial territory, but if Maravich and Bird say speed and jumping-wise are not... They don't stand out in either of those. But ways. neither does Magic, as, as we True. talked about. True, and, and yeah. Magic is also an incredibly inventive player. Yes. So maybe yeah. this is where they're similar. What you compensate for, huh. if, if you don't have that kind of speed and jumping ability, is just an attention to and development of the angles of the game Yeah. that made all three of them yeah. extraordinary maybe. and was required because of... What they couldn't do as well as yeah, right. maybe other elite. Yeah, athletes. when you're Dr. J, why do you got to worry about the angles of the game? It, 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 <laughs> you I mean, just... right. Your angles are all I'm a Cena six feet off the ground. Yeah, right? yeah. So, no, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm interested in these ideas. Those are the types of ideas that I like to talk about in the class. Yeah. I don't got smoking gun evidence for any of these things. No, right. And, right. and then, so I say them, and then I get letters like, like this telling me that I'm right. full of crap. So he, here's what I like about the way you approach this stuff, Matt is it's an opportunity for the students to think about this stuff differently than they otherwise would. Right. right. Like I think that most sports fans are just handed this very kind of conventional understanding of here's a good player, here's a bad player, here's how things are evaluated. Right. And, and you're coming along and saying, you know, there's a whole other lens through which to see this. Yeah. That it's actually right in front of you. But you just haven't been trained to even notice it exists. Yeah. Right? And so that, first of all, as a teacher, that yeah. has a lot of value. And, and I think you and I have both always felt like that has a lot of power in helping us to rethink sports. Uh, and right? just rethinking society much more. Right. And, and, sports a, and, yeah. and, and sports as a way of yeah. rethinking. If we're missing all of this in sports, yeah. what are we missing everywhere else? Right. It, right, that's exactly what I meant. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. look, you and I grew up watching basketball in the 1970s. You cannot tell me that basketball was not a racial drama in the 1970s and then into the 1980s. I think when I talk about that with some of my students now, they look at me like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Race doesn't matter, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I show a, show a clip on the first day of my race in basketball class. It's a recent clip of a black player dunking on a, on a white player. And I say, I, I'm not boasting about this, I'm not proud about this, but I cannot watch this without thinking about race, without thinking about the race of, of the guy who dunked and the race of the guy who got dunked on. I just don't, I, I grew up in an American culture and a sports culture where I just see that stuff. Yeah. And I'm not trying to train them to think that way, I'm just saying this is the way that I grew up and the way I think about these things. Well, and let me add that if you're an athlete, one thing that elite athletes are great at is compartmentalizing, blocking everything out. Yeah. And just focusing on the task at hand. So when, if it's a black player dunking on a white player, for example, on the one hand, all they're focused on 
is executing that play. But do not tell me that they themselves are not fully aware of what else they're seeing, experiencing, a part of when they're, when they're doing that. That's what I think, you know, but I say this, and uh, it was another letter, it was, a, it was a, um, an evaluation from, from one of my students okay. in, in the class, yeah. and it said, um, I'm not laughing because I, it was, it was, uh, I think he was right, he said, I feel sorry for you, Dr. Andrews, that you can't watch a basketball game and not think about race. And I'm like, yeah, you and me both, brother. I mean, I, I, I wish it wasn't, but that's just how I grew up thinking about it. Um, and what I try to do, let me be very clear about this. What I try to do in, in this class is tell the students, I give them my kind of racial biography where I grew up and how I used to play basketball. I was on an all-white team in an all-white town. And um, my, my interaction with uh, African-Americans was through basketball playing basketball in Oakland, going to basketball camps, going, going to Warrior Games. And these are the stories I was told about black and white players growing up. And most of these stories are just lies, right? Um, white players do not work harder than, than black players. Uh, that's what I was told growing up. And I show them the evidence. Here's where people used to say that stuff. And then we try to explode all of these myths. Right, that, and that I will there. add that I feel like, as somebody who consumes a lot of sports, uh -huh. I can both watch the games and love them and think about the racial context of that. I, yeah. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah, you think one doesn't need to come at the expense of the other. So let me ask you this. You're about to go to the Dean Dome to yes. watch UNC against Tennessee, right? Yes. Uh, will and you? Samantha's going too. Samantha, yes. who's going to be there as yes. as well, unless she wants to give me her ticket, which is totally fine. <laughs> I have nothing to do tonight. I'm just saying. She's getting out of her pocket. Right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. But um, will you, at some point, think to yourself, "Isn't this interesting? How there are uh, ten young black men on the on the court, and everyone around it? Not everyone, but ninety five percent of the people. Like, do you the, the dean dumb crowd? So the answer is yes, Matt. You and will think that tonight. Yeah. Crowd. Yeah. Now, what I think about when I look, I look around at the crowd every game. Yeah. So do I. I mean, I'm and, fascinated. And in the crowd. Me too. And there's no question what the it is overwhelmingly white. Yeah, and you will, uh, and you go to a lot of games, and you think that every game. I do. I do too. I do. Yeah. yeah. No, I do yeah. too. Yeah. So, can we talk about how the letter? Yes. Yes. I. Yes. Well, should we, or is it just, just, just piling on? No. Why don't you? Why don't you? Why don't you? So, Jonathan. Yeah. So, as I'm reading this, and again, I, he has some interesting points here and there, and I've, 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 I've as I've tried to indicate, I've. Um, Actually, Matt, before you finish, can I say one thing? Of course. Um, this is a an attempt at empathy with the letter writer. Okay. So what you hear when people introduce politics, race, other things into sports from many sports fans is, can't we just have one thing that we enjoy for its own sake? Yeah, you're saying that's what he's thinking. But why, yeah. why must you yeah. introduce all of this shit yeah. that, and I know now we just got an explicit rating for this episode. Samantha can take, take yeah, care okay. of it. Um, why must you bother yeah. my enjoyment yeah. of this thing with all of your woke whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and you know, I look. I don't. I don't feel that way, but I understand that. Yeah, so, I understand. Sure. I don't mean understand. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean I'm sympathetic to right, it. Right, right, right. Um, but. But there, there, there's real agita coming through the letter. Yeah. I guess is, I guess is what I'm trying to 
say. And, and it comes to the letter, and I, I you know, if, if he were here in the room, I would say maybe what you don't understand about the class is that it's called race and basketball. And on the first day, I say the whole purpose of this class is to explore the whole history of basketball through the lens of race. Right. And some of the theories, I'm not even sure I agree with them, but I'm going to tell you what these theories are, and so that's what I did. And clearly, yeah, all right, so agita, is that what yeah. you said? Agita, I like that. Yes. Yeah, yes, all yes. right. Okay. Anyway. Well, yes. So, the way he closes the, you know, so I'm reading the letter. I'm thinking, all right, maybe that's an okay point here and there. He loses me at at at, at times, but I just think he kind of shows his true self at the end, where he starts complaining about the overrepresentation of African Americans in popular culture, comprising just 12.6 percent of our population. Blacks are conspicuously present in near 100 percent of product advertisements to portray a surreal presence in the daily life of America. Fact check, they're not present in near 100% of product advertisements. How'd you do that that quickly? <laughs> he goes after Kamala Harris. Uh, Kamala Harris was complaining about her poll numbers being low because she's an African-American woman. Kamala, if you were a white male, you wouldn't be vice president. At some point, the whole woe is me card needs to lie face down. Um, and then I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I know exactly how he's going to end this letter as I'm reading this. He's going to talk, well, well, I'll tell you what he says. As a side note, discrimination against blacks that has taken place in Boston is diminutive compared to that which confronted the Irish who migrated in the mid-19th century. Their Catholic faith was, faith was vilified, businesses displayed, signs Irish need not apply. Look, and that's all true. I mean, absolutely. that stuff absolutely happened. Um, there were no affirmative action plans white Irish people. There were no laws to protect them against discrimination. They were given nothing. And I, that's how he ends. Respectfully, he, he says, as I'm reading that, I'm thinking, yeah, absolutely. No one has been discriminated, sorry, has been discriminated against more than the Irish in Boston. <laughs> there we have it. There you have it. Okay. So should we, should we end it there? Let's end by thanking our crack producer yes. and publicist, Samantha Rubin, for all of her, her efforts. Oh, and we're going to end, uh, first time we've ever done this, wink, wink, we're going to end with a trivia question. Oh, yes. What, and what okay, is and the, how, yeah. Samantha, how do people respond to the trivia question? On Instagram. On Instagram. You remind the yes. good people of our Instagram address. It is at agony.of.defeat. At agony.of.defeat. We have been talking about Larry Bird. Um, Larry Bird went to Indiana State. What was the nickname of the Indiana State basketball team? Excellent question. Okay, how about that one? And the first person to answer correctly gets a shout out from us on the next episode. Good as gold. Yep. Okay, so this has been the Agony Defeat Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can listen anywhere you get your podcasts. And we would love it if you would rate the podcast, but only if you give it five stars. And tell people, tell, tell your friend, tell your father, tell your old cranky grandfather up in Boston that he should listen to this episode. If, Let's see what if happens. If they need more Ajita in their lives, more this is the place to go. Boston yeah. Ajita, good. Okay. All right, Matt. See you next time.